Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. We're finishing up today a short three-part series called Measuring Up. If you haven't been able to be here for any of the other messages, don't worry. Uh, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first two because it will be helpful, I think, to you. Uh, But you're not going to miss anything out uh, on today. We've been uh, talking about how we can discover tranquility and peace in life as we face what I think is one of the greatest plagues we face in life, and that is this stress in us to always measure up, to compare ourselves, to push ourselves, to know that we're okay. We've been talking about it this way. We feel like we live life so much of the time caught in the trap of the bigger-er, always trying to measure up, always trying to figure out our worth and gain our confidence and our peace by knowing we're okay and how we measure up with others or things in life. Uh, So that means like we're always trying to be bigger, we're trying to be smarter, we're trying to be prettier, skinnier, wealthier, whatever the er is that you use to make sure you're okay by comparison. But we've also noticed and talked about extensively that there is absolutely no win in comparison. Because there's never an end to that trap of comparing. You will never have enough, or you will never be bigger enough, prettier enough, better enough to not have somebody else be better. And the fact of the matter is you grow older, and as you grow older, the er goes the opposite direction because you start being lapped by technology several times, your body sags, your energy level goes down, and then no matter what you compared like today, you can't compare to that in the future. There's actually another reason why there's absolutely no win in comparison as well. And that's because we tend to often measure our lives by the highlight reels of other people's lives. We try to be what they are and what that causes is so devastating in our life because all of a sudden we look at their highlight reels and we look at our crud and it causes us to want to hide that crud when we need to actually have friends and people in our life who we can be real with so that we can find healing and wholeness and not be alone in the difficult times of our life. Comparison is so self-defeating. It is so destructive to who you are and so destructive to your relationships. So last week we spent a little bit of time looking about uh, what we should measure ourselves more pointedly, the reference point that we should look at to know we are secure, we're loved, we're meaningful. And honestly, we came to the conclusion last week that the only thing that really matters in life, the only point worthy of being a reference point for us is the opinion God has of you. So last week we noticed that even in our brokenness, Even in our brokenness, God loves us. He pursues us. He paid a huge price for us, not just to forgive us and make our guilt go away, not just to punch our ticket to heaven, but he became our heavenly papa by adopting us. And we're his children and not leaving us to the fate of our immaturity, but loving us nonetheless where we are at right now, helping us grow. And so that perception of God means that he wants us to look at him, look him in the eyes, And see the excitement in his eyes that we're his children. See how excited he is about both who you are and who you can become. That you are so loved, so secure, so accepted, so redeemable, so cherished that you just have to follow God and learn to live in his opinion of you instead of your opinion or other people's opinion. So today, 
We're going to go a little further. We're going to look at one of Jesus' most famous parables. Even if you didn't grow up in a church, there's a good chance you've heard this story. In this parable, Jesus shows us what it looks like to live free of the trap of the bigger er and how it looks to live in even greater joy in our life as we can celebrate both who we are, who we're becoming, and we can celebrate the wins of other people around us. In the process, we're also going to expose one of the most common ways that this parable is misinterpreted and misused, which actually then makes it do exactly what it's not supposed to do and put us back in the trap of the bigger er with all the pride, the comparison, rather than what Jesus intends is to break that trap in our lives. Now, I don't often do this, but I want to just take a moment to maybe give you some tips. If you read the Bible, you read a lot of Jesus' parables, and here's some ways to help understand Jesus' parables. His parables are really about explaining who he is and understanding how God views us, and more specifically, understand how God sees us in light of his will for our lives. So in most parables that you read that Jesus does, one character is represents God and there's other character or characters that represent various types of people. Some of the parables you'll read are, are standalones, but some of them, like the one we're leading today, is actually one point in a much longer sermon that begins in chapter 24 and ends at the end of chapter 24. Each point in a longer sermon has truth that stands alone, but together they bring even greater understanding. Now, uh, you can go ahead and read this whole uh, sermon of Jesus on your own this afternoon. We're going to focus just today on this one point in this one parable. So let me give you two last tips on understanding parables as well. Parables are stories made up for a purpose. Most often that purpose is to make one point. Now there may be other truths that that parable says, but those truths are interpreted in light of that one point or lead us to that one point. And the parables of Jesus are also about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. That's two ways of saying the same thing, meaning that they are illustrations of what it means to live in right relationship, harmonious relationship with the God, with the world around us, with God's will, so that we experience all the best good that God has intended for our lives as we walk in the authority and the power and the blessing of God. So with that, let's jump into what used to be referred to as the parable of the talents. More commonly today, it is often referred to as the parable of the bags of gold. So Jesus starts it, he says, again, it. Now, again, what is that it? That it is the kingdom of heaven, living under the rule and reign of God in this life. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So don't miss this all-important phrase here. The master didn't give them the wealth. He, He entrusted his wealth to them. The money wasn't theirs. It was the master's. They were stewards who were entrusted to manage the wealth as the master would manage the wealth. The story goes on. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag. And here's another key phrase, each according to his ability. Here's what I want you to know at this stage of the story, because everybody who is listening to Jesus would have understood this at this point, but it needs a little explanation for our context. The guy given five bags of gold, well, that would have been like a lifetime of earnings for most people. It was a lot of money. Even the guy who received two bags of gold was given the equivalent of probably several years' worth of wages. In fact, the guy with one bag, that was even still a lot of money. 
So Jesus goes on. He says, Then the master went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. So each of these guys goes out, invests the money, puts it to work in business, and over time, a long period of time, each one of them doubles the money. But the man, the story goes on, who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, now just like many of you are thinking, Jesus' audience in that day would have been thinking, this is not going to end well for this guy. So Jesus continues the story. After a long time. So in Jesus' parables, a lot of times what he says, after a long time, that oftentimes means a lifetime when you come to the end of your life. So he says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. In other words, God is asking, what did you do with your life and the talents that I gave you? At the end of our life, we all stand before God and we give an account for our life. Did you use, he's asking, did you use what I gave you well or did you spend your life watching 7,000 movies? Did you use your money well or did you spend it just all on yourself? Did you use your gifts, your talents, your skills, your, your ability that God gave you well or not? So story goes on. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. And he said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And you need to hear his excitement in, his, in the servant's voice. He's saying, see, I doubled it. And did you hear the key phrase again? Master, you entrusted me. You let me have this to manage, this that belongs to you. You didn't give it to me. You didn't even loan it to me to use as I wish. You entrusted me to manage it as you would manage it. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now, the second, at this point, the audience would have reacted to that. They would have thought a few things. No way, this dude got the Mega Millions jackpot. That's not... A little bit, that's a lot. That's not a few, that's a lot. But Jesus says, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come on, share in your master's happiness. I am so pleased with you. So this master did what any good boss or entrepreneur would do. You've been faithful and made a few things grow. A small amount of responsibility worked well for you, so I'm going to give you greater responsibility. Can you hear him saying, I'm so proud of you for persevering, for being so faithful for so long, living in a way that made things better, that made things grow. Great job. I'm going to give you even more responsibility because I can trust you. I am so happy with you. See, the guy with two bags hears this, and he's also excited by that, especially even more. So the story continues. The man with two bags of gold came and said, Master, he said, and again, notice the key phrase. You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Come on, I'm so happy with you. Let's share the happiness together. Same delight, same reward as the five-bag guy. But then the soundtrack in the story changes to October movie music. How many people just don't watch movies in October? The horror track comes on. You know something's going to pop out and scare you. It's all going to turn bad just in a moment's notice. The one-bagger's turn starts. He says, the man who had received one bag of gold came. And master, he said, and notice, notice what he doesn't say. He says, I knew you were a hard man, 
harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here's what belongs to you. He doesn't say, here's what you entrusted me. He says, here's what belongs to you. The measure you gave me, I'm giving you that measure back. He is saying, I know you're really successful. I know you're demanding. I know you have high expectations far beyond me. I know that you drive a hard bargain, that you, you, you don't leave any money on the table. You don't, not, so I was really afraid. You can hear the fairness and comparison in his tone almost. And what on earth can I do with one bag? I mean, these two bag guy and the five bag guy, they have plenty of margin to do some big things. But, 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 and you hear in the man's voice this, this comparison, this defensive blame game is essentially saying, Master, it's your fault. You're so demanding. You gave me so little in comparison. What was I supposed to do? What would anyone in my position have done? with it. So I made sure the measure you gave me is the measure I gave back to you. And isn't that how we often treat God and treat our relationships? Kind of this tit for tat thing, kind of, you know, in comparing, we, we try to measure up to the world around us and how things work. But when we do that, we, we, now we're, we're just trying to justify that we're better. But we're also, we're also measuring our relationships at all the time, trying to keep things in balance. Don't, don't give too much. Don't, don't give too little. If somebody gives you this kind of gift, give them that kind of a gift. Just, you know, be careful. Keep things in balance. Just tit for tat. The one bag servant hides what the master gave. Never putting it to work, just letting it sit there and gives what he was given back. So let's read on from there. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. That could also be translated, you wicked, worthless, lazy servant. Notice, the master isn't mad about something he's done. No, he's mad at what he's not done. This guy didn't do anything immoral or illegal. He just did nothing. The master goes on in Jesus' story and says, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. See, the master doesn't deny or dismiss that how far superior he is to the servant and how high expectations he has. He recognizes that fully. And he continues, Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And everyone in the audience with that, at that moment when Jesus said that said a loud amen. Yeah, that's what I would have done. I would have done at least that. This guy was an idiot. He missed the entire point. I would have at least... And the crowd is caught full on in the trap of the bigger earth, trying to measure up. I would have done better... It's all running rampant in the crowd at this moment in Jesus' story. And Jesus continues the story, speaking in the voice of the master. He says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. And the crowd flips again. You can hear the crowd reacting. Oh man, Jesus, that's not fair. He already has ten. I mean, come on, at least divide it between the ten guy and the four guy. Or, or better yet, shouldn't you take some money from the guy with ten and give it to the ones who don't have much so everybody has a reasonably fair share? But Jesus is saying, I'm just going to do what any good business person would do. Take what is not being used effectively from them and give it to somebody who will use it effectively. And Jesus then finishes the story letting the master preach in this parable a mini-sermon. He says, for whoever has, 
will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless, lazy servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's pretty hard stuff. Many try to say that Jesus is saying that weeping and gnashing of teeth is that he's basically sending that guy to hell. And maybe, maybe that's true, but I, I, think we miss, I think we miss the bigger essence when we, when we just focus on that. Regardless, I think it's actually more of a deep, overwhelming frustration. The kind where this one bag man is saying, man, I, I really blew it. I missed my opportunity. I, I could have lived my life so much better and, and, and look now I have misery. I, I should have been different. I should have. I missed it. Now my life is done. I, I wasted my life. And it's the anguish of a wasted life that you're actually seeing in those words of Jesus. See, there are several truths that I think we need to come to terms with in order to find and live in what Jesus' main point of this parable is, and that is to break that comparison, to break that need to measure up, to break the trap of the bigger us by comparing ourselves to feel like we're okay in that way. So, so, and, and then the outcome of the main point is to bring us to this place where we can freely and fully celebrate other people's successes while we also learn to walk into our full potential. So let's break it down. First, we're going to start how this parable is wrongly misinterpreted and misused with the result that its interpretation tends to drive us into the trap rather than free us from it. So it's too often people think of this, they, this parable and they go, well, okay, so am I a five person, a two person, or a one person? And, and we start evaluating ourselves and evaluating other people and comparing ourselves, which violates the entire main point that Jesus is making in this parable. Sure, he leads him into the place where, where, the, where his, his story exposes that in them, but he's not wanting them to stay there. So when that happens, when we get caught in that trap, we start going around saying, well, I'm, I'm a five-bag person. I'm a five-talent son. Or, or I'm, I'm this person who's successful. I lead a lot of people. I'm, I'm a high-capacity person, so I must be somewhere between a two- and a five-bag person. And yet that very kind of thinking actually leads us to division, pride, comparison, instead of the intended result of freeing us from it. It is a misinterpretation. See, being a five-bag or two-bag person has nothing to do with how successful or wealthy or high-ranking of a leader you are in your life. Jesus isn't talking about leadership or wealth and a worldly success in that terms. He's talking about what? The kingdom of heaven. In fact, based on Jesus' greater context of his teaching, where Jesus says on a couple occasions it's harder for a wealthy, successful person to be saved... Being a five-bag person in the world's standards actually makes it harder to be a five-bag person in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the first truth of this parable presents to us to help us arrive at the main point is this. Being a five- or two-bag person in this parable has everything to do with how consistently submitted you are to God's will for your life. How much and how consistently you live your life in obedience to God's will instead of your will or instead of the fears and the things that drive you in life. It's not about striving and pushing and leading. It's about learning to follow 
God and managing life his way. Being a five-two, one-bag person knows all about all that you are and all that you've been given by God is being used to forward the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven to do the will of your master, stewarding what you were given by God as God himself would steward it. See, it's harder to be a follower, to submit your will to God's when you feel like you are a really measure up well compared to other people. That feeling of success in this world creates, and to many of us, an independence, a need to lead, a need to be in control. Instead of seeing ourselves simply as a steward, we see ourselves as an owner which is the second truth of this passage. Freedom from the trap of always trying to measure up only comes when we realize that all we have is really God's, not ours. All we are is really God's, not ours. We didn't make ourselves. God did. We didn't give ourselves the abilities. God did. We didn't choose to be born where we are and the family we are and the nation we are. God did. We simply steward what we are given. And the one-bag person doesn't get that. He doesn't use the key phrase, you entrusted this to me. He doesn't believe God has given him all he needs. He's jealous. He feels like if I had two bags, five bags, then sure. But God, you aren't fair. You didn't give me enough to have a great life. And and besides, if I take what you've given me extra and I blow it, then I'm worse off. So that one bag, that's yours. What is mine is mine. What's yours is yours. But the phrase entrusted me, entrusted me is such a powerful phrase. That phrase can admittedly be terrifying. One evening this past week I was watching a show and one of the lead characters just got this tremendous promotion of power and wealth far beyond anything he could have imagined and yet the the filmmakers did such a good job of helping the actor portray that along with that came huge expectations and tremendously difficult political balancing acts that he needed to to be a part of. You could see in in his character the, the terrifying reality that if he didn't live up to the expectations or, and, and made a political misstep, that, it, that his family would suffer untold painful consequences. See, being a steward of someone else's goods, of, of God's goods, the one who is perfect, powerful, above all others, the one who has certainly high demands, that none of us can live up to God's moral laws or his expectations are so high none of us can live up to them. That's terrifying. But the word entrusted, it also communicates that this God, this heavenly master, mentor, this heavenly papa, as we talked about last week, trusts you with what he's given you. He's delighted to trust you with it. He's joyful about trusting you with it. He's confident. He's not giving you more than you can handle because he knows you, he loves you, and he's with you, and he's for you. See, if if you'll just let him be the owner and trust him and follow him, you will find peace and joy and fulfillment of living your potential in ways that you can't even imagine. And trusted communicates his confidence and his joy in you. See, Jesus also points out a third truth in this parable that breaks the power of the bigger er in us. It's it's this. We often blame God for what we don't have instead of focusing on what we do have. 
See, the two and the five bag persons don't compare. They don't focus on what they don't have. They just get busy using what they have, and over a long period of time, it doubles. There's almost this excited sense in them of, of from the very beginning, this kind of see expectation from the very beginning of the, when they're first entrusted with the bags. It's like, see, my master trusts me. He has confidence in me. He's so good to me. Let's just get to work and see how far this can go and what we can do with what we have. And this truth is really kind of intuitive, I think, for us. If you stop and think about all the people who have started with little and it became a lot, and the people who started with a lot and squandered it and now they have little, or the people who just started with whatever they had and it kind of stayed the same, you can look at their lives and we can easily acknowledge this truth in life. The people who focus on what they do not have clearly don't do as well in life. The people who focus on what they do with what they have, regardless of how little or how much it is, do well in life. And see, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God operates in this principle. What you have been entrusted with is far less important than what you do with what you have. See, each one of us is so uniquely gifted. Your story is not mine. Your mix of abilities is not the same as mine. Your knowledge you have, I don't, I don't have knowledge you have. Wisdom you have, I don't have. There are so many areas of experiences and personality and intellectual abilities and common sense abilities and skills that you have. No two people are the same. You are uniquely gifted, uniquely talented, uniquely and wonderfully made. But what you do with what you have no matter if it seems a lot or seems a little, what you do with what you have is more important than what you have. See, we can easily get in touch with this kind of inspiration to the stories of someone who rags to riches, the, the unknown to amazing leader, the, the person who didn't have anything and starts this huge nonprofit that does this tremendous amount of, makes a tremendous amount of difference in life. We can get in touch with that. But, but when you look at people like that, they didn't get up each day and say, it's not fair, I, I don't have enough, I don't have that, I, I can't. No, they got up each day and said, this is what I have. Let's see how far it can go today. Let's see what we can do with it. Their focus was on what they had, not what they didn't have. Being fully loved by God leaves us excited about what he has entrusted to us. Some of the most inspirational people that have been uh, to me in life have been people who our culture identifies with developmental disabilities. And yet, I've known people who are given that label who are so purely focused on what they have, not on what they don't have, that they walk into a room and they light it up with the love and the grace of Jesus. They have multiplied far more of the grace and love of the kingdom of heaven in other people's lives than other people I know who are followers of Jesus, who are fantastic leaders leading great big companies. Why? Because they are more focused on using what they have for the glory of God and not on what they don't have. Everything in your life has either been placed there by God or something God intends to turn the ashes of to beauty and purpose. So, so understand this. It is a completely wrong understanding of God's sovereignty to say that God places everything in your life, that everything that happens in your life is there because God wants it to be there in your life. No, sin 
and the resulting brokenness of our world causes much pain and sickness and death that God never wanted, never intended, isn't responsible for. When we experience those things, God is saddened, he cries with us, and he's angry along with us when we should be rightfully angry at those things. Yet here's the truth of his sovereignty. Even in the ashes of all that which God did not place in your life, God is, God's plan is to come in and turn those ashes into beauty and something of beautiful purpose, redeeming all the experiences in our lives. So everything in your life from creation and all the good, all the redemption that God has done is placed there by God and they are your bags of gold. And yes, God has given different capacities, although he measures capacity differently. See, in talking about the disciples, he chose to follow him and to be the ones who would lead the charge in changing the world after him. Jesus, on several occasions, erupts into this spontaneous worship, rejoicing that God has chosen, what did he say? The foolish things, the weak things of the world to shame the wise. He doesn't see capacity as the same way the world views it. So even in light of the different capacities, though not explicitly stated, Jesus implies this in the story. Even if the one bag man had just given the money to collect interest, the master would have been so pleased and delighted in him. Does God want that guy to experience a whole lot more by allowing it to double just like the two and the five? Would he, would he love to see that in him? Yeah, but, but he, he would be pleased nonetheless if that one bag person had just put the money in the bank and let other people use it and pay interest on it. See, that's because the master compassionately understood the difficulty the one bag man was facing emotionally, how intimidating and big the expectations felt to him. He understood where he was, and yet this man too, at even the smallest little step, could have experienced the pleasure and acceptance of God, but he did nothing. And finally, Jesus is also pointing out that when all you have is God's, not yours, and when you recognize that God's confidence and joy in trusting you with all he has is given to you, and, and you realize you don't need to compare to others, all that you are accountable to do is to use what you have and, and do what you can with that. And then when you understand the pleasure and the love of God, at the end is equally wonderful for every single one of us then all of those recognitions free you to rejoice in other people's success with nothing but great joy. No tinge of hidden jealousy or comparison, wishing they would fail so you could feel better about yourself. No, because you are already completely accepted, loved, delighted in by God, so there is absolutely no need to compare at all. What that does in life is it releases a joy that gets even bigger because you can celebrate and you can enjoy people and their gifts and their success well. See, the truth of this parable, when it gets embedded in us, is we live life simply. We live life leveraging whatever God has given us and we live life celebrating what God has given everyone else. 
We can be happy that they look the way they do, that they have the money they have, the recognition, the success they have, the, the popularity they have. We can be happy with when somebody else has a, a marriage that is far stronger and more beautiful and easier than ours, and, and we can rejoice in other people's kids getting into Harvard when our kids are struggling academically, and, and there's no tinge of anything. There's just joy. And when you get to the end of your life here on earth, and you show up at the pearly grates, whatever they're going to look like, and you give an account of your life, you can anticipate that day with great joy, eagerly looking forward to it, knowing you will get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. It doesn't mean you've been perfect with a few things. It means you've been faithful with a few things, and he's going to put you in charge of many. And you'll get to hear him say, come on, I'm so happy you get to share in my happiness. Come on, let's party. If all of us could focus on what we have and just use what we have to glorify our master and celebrate how others are doing the same, the jaws of the trap of the bigger-er always needing to measure up just begin to fall away. And you get to hear even now, right now, in this life, more and more, the Holy Spirit speaking to you and just your heavenly pop is saying to you, well done, well done. You were really faithful today. Good job. Well done. Come on. Let's be happy together. I'm so pleased with you. And isn't that what we all really want to hear? The most important person in the universe saying that to us. Would you stand with me and pray? God, you are such a good God. You are so loving, so amazing. Lord, I pray that you would come to each and every one of us now in this space of time, this reality that we're facing right now today, and that by your Spirit, you would help us receive how much you love us, free us from this trap of measuring up. Lord, I pray especially for ones who today here who identify with the fear of, I don't have enough to give, I, I don't have enough. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would right now come to them, whoever that is here, and you would melt that away, and you would say, no, I've given you enough to live a fantastic life. I'm going to give you more. I'm going to help you multiply it. Just look what you have and give it away today. Whatever, however small or big it is, give it away today. And, and God is saying to you right now, I'm just going to delight in that. I'm going to be with you. It's going to be so much fun to do that. Lord, just bring that kind of freedom to us. Bring that kind of joy to us. Help us to be that today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O Quest.org. Thanks for listening.